And behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you shall live. What do we see in here? The answer of the lawyer was taken from the Old Testament scripture. And he magnifies the love to God above love to man. In addition, it states that the love toward God ought to, ought to be expressed with all your heart all your mind and all your strength and everything that you are. This is the greatest and most important commandment. I suppose most Christians know it in theory. But do we love God with all our hearts and all our minds? Do we put God first in everything? Another good question is, does God deserve to be put first in our lives? The scripture says that the first and the greatest command is to love God. But how do we do that? How do we love God? I'd like to suggest that, first of all, we have to experience God's love. That's what the scripture says, 1 John 4.19. It says, we love him because he first loved us. God was first to love us. We come to experience his love. And when we come to see his goodness and his love, we love him back. That's how it works. When the young rich ruler approached Jesus with the same question that lawyer had in, chapter, in Luke chapter 10, which was, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answered him, engaging him in the conversation about the goodness of God and about keeping the law as well. Until they found a sore spot in the life of this young man and he became very sad and he left. But in Luke 18, it doesn't say what Mark 
in his gospel account wrote in chapter 10. Verse 21, it says, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And then said to him, you, look, you lack one thing. You know, it was an honest question with honest answer. The young man left disheartened. That's what the scripture says. And the gospel accounts don't mention him anymore. But it was not necessary the end. Because this young man had experienced God's love. And it's really shame that we cannot see that in even better way. But it says that Jesus loved him as they were talking with each other. Jesus loved him. Was it in his voice? Maybe in his face, in the mimic of his face? Or the way he looked at the young man? his whole attitude toward him? Perhaps all of these and even more. But Mark counted worthy to notice that Jesus loved him. And I have good reason to believe that the man, the rich young ruler, noticed that too. that he had this kind of experience of the love of God. The young man is one of those who would have a problem to give up everything he worked for, at least at once. And Jesus doesn't push him. Jesus doesn't argue with him, doesn't plead with him. But he's leaving him with the taste of divine Love. Just that. Another character that catches my attention in the gospel accounts is Mary Magdalene. First, she is mentioned by Luke 8, verse 2, when Jesus was going through cities and villages and he was proclaiming the good news. And he was bringing the good news to people in healing them and helping them. And so was at that time Mary Magdalene. She was freed from seven demons that had gone out of her. Then the next time we can see her when she was caught up in adultery. That's John 8. She was brought up before Jesus. And in the story we can see, Jesus is saving her life. Jesus is saving her life. Setting her free again from her oppressors. And then at the feast in Simon's house, she was pouring out her love on Jesus. And Jesus had to defend her again. 
against severe criticism and accusations. We have to notice here that Jesus was never ashamed or embarrassed to express his appreciation and his love toward Mary. And after the resurrection, Jesus appeared first to Mary Magdalene when she came to the tomb. I would say that Mary Magdalene experienced love of God. She was saved and saved again and again. Perhaps she is a good illustration how salvation looks like. In whichever way you look at this, Jesus was there to save her again and again and again. She was truly loved by Jesus. She experienced the love of God and we can see that she loved Jesus very much. Again, I want to say that we love him, we love God because he first loved us. I hope you can see that in your own life. God comes into our lives and he gives us way of troubles. He comes with solution to our problems and we just love him. Love of God appears sometimes to one when one doesn't expect that. Very often people don't expect that. Why? Because we don't deserve it. Somewhere at the back of our mind, it says, man, you don't deserve it. Don't even count on that. But in that very moment, Jesus comes and he's showing us, he's showing us that we are loved by him and we are accepted by him. And he calls us, he bids us to follow him. That's his way. Just like Matthew, the tax collector, rejected but religious society, yet called to serve God. He felt accepted by Jesus. He felt loved by him. And that love of Jesus brought gratitude to his heart that led him to show appreciation to Jesus and to serve for him to serve to God because he wanted he wanted to express his love toward God perhaps this is the key point of our the whole Christian experience when we come to the point that we want to serve God when we want to express our love to our team. And only in that context, we read the words of Jesus and it makes sense. 
He says, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not the other way around. If you love me, if you want to do something for me, keep my commandments. You know, Christianity is a journey, isn't it? It's a journey. I don't know everything about your journey. But when we look around on people in this church, we may say that we all are in different place spiritually. We may be in different place spiritually. Some of us may be on the top of your relationship with God. Well, some of us may be starting a journey and looking at God as falling in love with wonderful and merciful Savior, gracious God. Some others may be walking with God for years now and starting to feel comfortable and even snooze a bit. And some of us may be waking up again to realize that perhaps we are sliding back a little bit and we need to refresh our relationship with God. Refresh our commitment to God. And I think we all are going through some kind of experiences. If your spiritual life is alive, you have some kind of experience. And thank God that he's been very understanding and even more he's been watching over us. And giving us some a little nudge from time to time to wake us up, to put us back on feet. But if you love God, if you want to do His will, there is one aspect that I want to bring up today and mention that is well worthy to maintain and sustain in our Christian walk. I'm thinking about integrity. A simple word, integrity. But there is so much in that. When China built the Great Wall, they built, they built it to protect themselves from barbaric hordes from the north. You probably have seen the wall on the picture at one point. But it was so high that nobody, nobody could climb over it. There was no way to do that. And so thick that nobody could break through the wall. No chance. It was perfectly protecting wall. And during the first hundred years of the wall existence, China was invaded three times. 
You may ask question how. How was it possible with such a great wall? The enemy didn't try to break the wall or go over it. No. You know what they did? They bribed the gatekeepers and simply got in. As simple as that. Chinese leaders did what they thought was the best to protect a country from enemy. But they failed to teach their people moral integrity. They failed it all the way. The wall was there to protect them, but people were easily corrupted. And they let the enemy in. There is a great lesson in that, to teach moral integrity in every area of Christian life. In that, there is our safety. It is God that built protecting hedge around us to keep us safe. It is in his power, it is within his power. But the, the enemy comes to us to bribe us, to get us to get better offer to us. And it is our decision, it is up to us whether we let the enemy in. Isn't it? That's true, isn't it? God is there to protect us. But it is our choice whether we let the enemy in. If you read the first four commandments of God, you will notice that they are guardians. They are guardians of pure relationship with God. The protection wall, if you like, against enemy of God. And we read in Exodus 20, verse 2, it says, I am, your, I am, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. That's how it starts. It says, I am the God who saved you. You shall have no other gods before me. The Lord is communicating here with his people. I am the one who saved you from slavery in Egypt. I bore you on eagle's wings to bring you to freedom, to set you free. Don't go after other gods. Don't do that. Because if you do that, you will lose your freedom again. The Lord said that he is a jealous God. But he's jealous of us. He's jealous of us that we would not be hurt or enslaved again. His protective love and it has this practical, logical aspect. If we follow the gods of this world, we are letting the enemy in. And that's what happened to Israel again and again and again. 
Now, if we go to the second commandment, it says you shall not make yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. The extension of not having other gods before the Lord our God is not to make any image to worship or serve it. And we, we read this commandment and we think, well, in nowadays most Protestant churches don't do that. Don't make any idols or images to, to worship them. But I think the key words here is Worship and serve. And the Bible mentioned love of money as one of them that can break our relationship with God. But Jesus went on to say even more on that subject. In Luke 14, verse 26, he says, If you love your father or mother or sister or brother or anyone else in that regard, more than God. You are not worthy of me. That's what it says. It means that no one and nothing should come before the Lord our God. And then he adds, yes, even your own life. Even the regard for your own life should not go higher than regard to God. Now, this is the true biblical saying. This is the teaching of Jesus. And it may sound a bit harsh at the surface. But, you know, the, the commandment to love God and the commandments to love your neighbor never clash with each other if they are kept properly. They never clash. God never designed that they would, you know, that we would disregard our family or brothers. That was not his purpose. But he stated upright, God has to, has to come first. Uh, If we disregard God, just think about it. If, you, if we disregard God, our Savior, where do we go? Where do we go? Who else can help us? Who else can give us salvation and comfort in a time of need? We have these words of Jesus telling us the truth. And you know... As we think about the law of God, the law of God was given to us to show us that we have sinned. And when we know that we have sinned, we know that we need Savior. So the law, in that regard, is our tutor to Christ. This is the function of the law. In that regard, when we mess up, we need to stay with Jesus. Yeah? Does it make sense? 
If you see, if you read the law of God, and you see you come short of that, you're not to run away from God. You stay with God. You stay with Jesus. Like we see in the story of Mary Magdalene. I want to notice here from the story something that I found very interesting. Those religious leaders who brought Mary to stone her, you know, they, at some point they were convinced about their sins, about their own sins. That's what Jesus was drawing on, on the sound, probably. Was it the law or more specifically some sins? I don't know. But they were convinced in their heart that they sinned. And they all left, one by one. But you know what they, sh they should have done? They should have stayed with Jesus, like Mary Magdalene. They should have stayed with Jesus to acknowledge their sin and ask for the forgiveness. That's what they're supposed to do. Living God doesn't sort out problems. It doesn't. When we see that we are come short, we have come short. We have to stay with Jesus by looking. Do not walk away from Jesus because think logically, he's the only one who can help us in that situation. Stay with your Savior. In the Holy Bible, allegiance and loyalty to God is elevated the highest regard. Because only God can save us. We have to get it right. Only God can save us. Only Jesus can help us. And with all the regard and love we may have for our families and friends, with all the due respect, they won't be able to help us in the day of salvation. Nobody else will be able to help you in the day of salvation. We can rely only on God, only on Jesus. That's why it is so important to keep him first in our lives. As we think about these last days, we know from the scriptures that the loyalty to God will be tested to the greatest extent. And we have to be ready for that. We have to know that. We have to make up our minds now. Now, when we live in the time of peace, before the final test, we need to get these things right. I hope it all makes sense to you. The faithfulness, integrity, loyalty, obedience, should be taken in with appropriate measures. Understanding that God wants us to develop these good traits of character, 
to protect us here and now and to secure our future with him. This is the purpose of God, to save us to his kingdom. Now Jesus said, <coughs> render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God what is God's, right? It means that there is a borderline between these two. God is giving us a lot of freedom. And along with Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 2 encourages us to pray for all people. It says, pray for all who are on a, on a high position that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. It says this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior. Now listen to this. Honoring people on the high position and praying for them, praying for the government, the queen and the government is, and all the officials is good and is pleasing in the sight of God and rendering the things that are appointed by authorities is good but in all that we have to make distinction to render the highest respect and the highest honor to God in the things in the things that he had appointed to us there should be no conflict between these two and there is no conflict as long as the state power don't produce religious instructions. Are you with me? Yeah? There is no conflict in that. To God, what is God's. To Caesar, what is Caesar's. There should be no conflict in that. As long as the state doesn't give us religious instructions. Yeah? That we can peacefully live in this country, rendering to God what is God's, and rendering to government what is government's. The fourth commandment of God regarding the seven-day Sabbath is very special as it brings together creator and creation to have separate space in time. I have come across videos with sermons and testimonies made by people who believe in God and they call themselves Christians, yet there are many of them who thank God that According to their understanding, they don't have to keep the Sabbath day. And they say with such a passion, thank God for that. I don't have to keep the Sabbath day. As if spending time with God in his holy day was a burden. And there are others like us, the Seventh-day Adventists, who give thanks to God. We thank God 
every Sabbath that we can have this rest from all the other things in this special day. And I want to ask you, where is the difference? Where is the difference between these two opinions? I believe the difference lies in correct understanding and correct application. Not just understanding, but also application, how we come about the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was created for man. That's what Jesus said. Yeah? It was created for man. It was created for us. And should be taken as a blessing. And it is a blessing for all those who delight themselves in the Lord. That's the, the way to look at this. Every good gift comes from the Father above. Isn't it? James 1.17 And according to my understanding and based on the experience of Jewish people in the past, we should not create our own rules and regulations to make this day a burden for ourselves and our families that will be hard to bear. But it should be day of joy and delight as we de delight ourselves in the Lord, with him, having fellowship with each other. I want to make one last point. Psalmist in Psalm 127 wrote, Unless the Lord builds the house, they la labor in vain. Who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What do we get from that? What do we get from that? It is the Lord that makes things possible for us, is it not? Spiritually, in building our characters, and physically in blessing every good effort that we make. Let us build our future with the Lord in the way he made it for us. And you will be blessed, and you will be truly blessed in everything you do, in your school, in your work, in your study, in your retirement, in everything, in all the good things that your heart desire, God will bless you. And the Lord be the God whom you worship and whom you serve. Let him be the God whom you worship and you serve. And his blessing will be upon you. Put him first in your life before all other things. And it will be well with you. It will be well with you. I want to close with a word of prayer. So...
I'd like to ask you just to bow your heads. Our loving Father in heaven, most kind Lord and Savior, we thank you today for your love toward us. And Lord, in this simple prayer, we ask that you would help us experience, truly experience your love. And help us, please, love you back with all our hearts and minds by being committed and loyal in everything to you. And so in all that, we would want more and more of you in our lives. And Lord, we want to use this opportunity today to pray for the Queen, to pray for the government of this country, and all the officials in this country that you would bless them all with the wisdom from above to lead this country into a peaceful future that will serve well to all people living here. May your blessing, Lord, rest upon us as we worship and serve you in the way you have instructed us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>